Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of the Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Croswell. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, welcome back to another episode of the Allegorical Life podcast. Uh, Today we're talking about a blog post that you published uh, in December 2020. Uh, We're now in uh, March 21, uh, and we're just going to have a a chat really about what you had reflected on uh, in terms of the enormity of the year that was and what we might take from it moving forward. So, Mark, when you think about 2020, what are the things that come to mind? I think the first thing that comes to mind was how difficult it was for so many people across the world uh, and it was a, a difficulty that was not foreshadowed in, in most people's uh, thoughts, certainly foreshadowed in the world of risk. Um, uh, the world of hazard and peril, I think pandemic was always top of the tree really about about what, what could happen but the extent to which people really thought about it I think was highly variable. But um, but you, of course, have to couple that with what started the uh, in 2020, which was the significant um, bushfire activity in much of Australia, and what had preceded that was um, ex- extreme severe to extreme drought, and what followed that was some fairly severe flooding, and then we, of course we rolled in a pandemic, and underpinning all of it, which not many people could see, of course, was uh, significant cyber intrusion on, uh, into our major institutions and our critical infrastructure. So. So it was a really uh, turbulent year for hazard, threat and peril, and we were feeling the effects of that, if not simultaneously, then certainly concurrently. And I remember talking to a psychologist about uh, what the last 12 months looked like for her in her practice, and she said that um, the things that she really noticed was that it was the force of change, so, so pandemic and all those other things had forced change, it was the rate of change, so it was so fast. Um, and it was the rising of harm or the shifting of harm. So what she meant by that was that, uh, for, for, take pandemic as an example, that you know home was not necessarily a safe place for people, and they were being forced to go back there. And you know the harm was either physical, emotional, or both. Um, and we did flag this in our blog 12, about twelve months prior um, that the, you know the harms would rise in different ways. And and unfortunately, what we see with all crisis and hazard. Um, whether it's you know that very personal level or at the global level or anything in between, is that it amplifies uh, what, where we are already vulnerable. So it amplifies um, where the harm is. It doesn't doesn't actually create harm per se. It's a bit bit hard to get heads around sometimes when we talk like this. But the the causes or the the potentiality for harm is always always exists. It's always there. And then has a threatens threats and perils come along and and really just amplify that that vulnerability and you know to be vulnerable is is the propensity or susceptibility to be harmed and then and coupled with the inability to cope um is really how vulnerability is defined and um 
I think for a lot of people, you know, the susceptibility was there, and of course, the extent to which they coped was was uh, was highly variable as well. So, so I think Jordan, it was significant for so many people. Now, some people made the best of it, of course, and some people even profited really, and you know, not everybody ended up uh, uh, worse off. But but it changed the lives of just about everyone. I think uh, a good example of that, and again, we talked about this in an earlier blog, was the reshaping of value. And um, we've seen it in Australia, uh, particularly on the east coast of Australia, where people have changed lifestyles quite significantly and are moving out of the cities back to the suburbs and back to the regional and rural towns, so much so that property prices are going through the roof. Um, Stock that previously hadn't been sold or couldn't have been sold uh, because no one wanted it for the last 12 or 18 months was snapped up in a matter of weeks. And... Uh, it's, it's done a couple of things, of course. It's helped people to uh, reshape what's valuable, but it's also forced other people out of the market. So so the polarisation of wealth and resource that's going on across the world at the moment, unfortunately, this was another example of that, exa- of that very thing happening yet again where those who had capital or money or agency or capacity could do something about it and improve their life. And of course, others were left behind and got even further locked into their circumstances um, than they did say before the pandemic or the bushfire. So so it's been big, Jordan, it's been enormous. And, and that's why I wrote the blog to say, look, don't move past this too quickly because there is an enormous amount to learn here. This rupture has caused a lot of grief and a lot of suffering. It has also created the potential for a lot of opportunity. But as I said to a good colleague uh, during the week, that that look, it's if you've if people have relocated and reassessed for value and you know moved to the regional centres or whatever, you know, for a better life, that's a, that's a good thing and it's half the story. So so it's a good thing in terms of it obviously will rebalance their life, but it's only half the story. And the other half of the story is. How do we help others do the same thing? You know, at some point, and again, this is a big issue that we have to, as a, as a as a global community, work out how do we redistrib- redistribute what we already have? How do how do we rebalance the, the the equation a little bit better, so that we close the gap in the middle between those who have and those who haven't? And without being too sociological about it, it's pretty obvious to see it going on. And, and I think the the data and the Statistics in the world of economics will certainly, you know, prove it and highlight it over and over that that gap is growing. So, so the reshaping of value is good. Um, the relocating is good. I think the the reassessment is good. That's uh, only half the picture, though. How do we then help others to do a similar thing, and how do we do that willingly and voluntarily without overly impeding upon our own lifestyles or wishes or desires? But um, extending that wish or that desire for others to experience a similar level of satisfaction that you know that we're trying to achieve as well. And Mark, do you think 2020 was the year we should all want to put behind us, or do you think there's more to it than that? I think I think many people would want to put it behind them. Um, none of us like to experience suffering, of course, <clears throat> and probably even less of us like to reflect upon it. But the, the nature of the human condition is such that it's only really through suffering and heartache and difficulty that we learn. And it's uh, it's not to say that you would wish that upon anybody. I, I certainly don't, and um, a re- no reasonable person would. Um, but I think it's just a fact of the human experience. I've, I've said this before in a blog, but Confucius had a wonderful insight about this, the, 
the historical uh, um, Chinese philosopher, he said that you know, wisdom was learnt one of three ways. You either learn it through reflection, which, <clears throat> which is the noblest form of wisdom, uh, which is looking back, of course, and, and understanding what it is that you need to learn. Um, you can learn it by imitation, which is the easiest, and that's just simply do what other people tell you to do and, and presumably wise people. And the third one was experience, which was the bitterest. Um, and he said that most people, unfortunately, learn the wisdom of their life through bitter experience. So um, Aristotle said similar things, and, and the Buddha made the observation that it was through lived experience that we really got to understand what suffering looked like, of course, which was important to know because it was so pervasive and, um, and extensive, uh, but also what we could do about it, which was to um, act compassionately and and through other virtues in order to move to a better state of being. So so many people just want to get it over and done with or have moved beyond it, but I fear that in so doing we haven't taken the lesson. I've said this a lot and I'll continue to say it in, in future blogs that harm is never acceptable. You can't say that harm is okay. It's not. It's never okay to hurt somebody consciously or otherwise um, through anything that we think, say, or do. So. It's, it's difficult to achieve, of course, but it is a premise or a predicate of thought that we should never move off, that uh, those of us who practice mindfulness or wish to be more mindful should always remember that harm isn't acceptable and we should act wisely or we should think wisely before we act. Having said that, it exists, and it exists through our fallibility and imperfections and ignorance and you know all sorts of other things which we might talk about in future blogs. But, um, and so, therefore, it has to be navigated part of navigating the effects of harm is to reflect upon what it is that we learn from those experiences and it's really where we draw our wisdom from so i think jordan to move past it too quick is to miss an opportunity to say look what did we learn um, even in the world of post-traumatic stress which i've had a fair bit to do with over the last 20 years or so which is a very very painful experience for those who go through it um, people will generally say two things um, and it's almost paradoxical. Um, I wouldn't change the experience for the world because it taught me so much, but I hope I never have to go through it again. And and I think that's probably true of COVID-19 or, or 2020 and all that came with it. It wasn't just about COVID-19. Um, that people would say, look, actually, I, I learned something. It helped to shape me. It, it gave me deeper insight as to who, who I am or what's important or what I value. Uh, what we value as a community, what, what what more we need to do as a community to uh, to move towards that collective sense of well-being and happiness and meaning and purpose. Uh, and I really wish that we don't have to go through that again. And I suspect, Jordan, that the, the, if we to to honour the wish that we don't go through it again is to take the learning, is to take the lesson and say, okay, if we don't want to have the same experience. We need to draw the wisdom from the experience we've just had, because if you just if anyone reflects on their own life, you'll know that your intuition you'll get a sense of what's coming up. Sometimes, sometimes we don't. Of course, things turn up out of the blue, but with the benefit of hindsight, wisdom, experience, and learning, we develop the tools to be more adaptable, more uh, more um, resilient, really. And so, when those surprise, even the surprising things turn up, we can draw from the experience to navigate them. So. So to my earlier point about vulnerability, it's not only the susceptibility or propensity to be harmed, but it's the capacity or, or essentially inability to cope. If you can increase your coping capacity by drawing on uh, the wisdom of lived experience to build that capacity, then when the harms turn up, then the vulnerability lessens 
um, and the resilience increases. So, so these are worthwhile reflecting upon. I do think that what society needs to learn, though, is that much of what people had experienced in terms of harm or vulnerability was as a result of structural, economic and social inequity. Um, and so we, we run the risk of putting the burden too much on the individual to get ready for a dangerous world um, and not enough of an obligation on the institutions, uh, government policies and all that comes with it to structure societies and, and gear societies so that the, the maximum number of people have the greatest opportunity to exercise their agency, you know, which is essentially their free will and choice to act in the best interests of themselves and others. And, and really that's what all, all governments and major public and even corporate, you know, private and corporate institutions that control so much of our future have an obligation to create that and to put those things in place. And it's often forgotten in the world of resilience, for example, where we just keep pounding the individual to be more and more a certain way and we don't stop and reflect upon where we sit institutionally with all these things. So th that's why 2020 is so big. It just showed... Uh, in spades across the world how vulnerable we can be and where those inequities lie. I mean, the, the, the rolling out of the virus, yet again, the global north and the rich countries of the global north have prioritised the vaccine rollout for themselves, uh, yet they've got the healthcare systems and all the other things they need to, you know, to, they still need to do the, the rollout, of course, but they can absorb more impact or more um, harm and suffering than, than the poorer countries in the, in the global south, for example, particularly around the equatorial region, uh, can do themselves. So so there was a chance to rebalance things. There was a chance to get it right, and it appears as though we haven't done it yet again. So, you know, I was talking to someone the other day, and they said, oh, you know, the marketplace will sort out the rebalancing, and I said it never does. It just doesn't do it because human desire is endless, and, and really our Western economics and the markets that attach are driven by endless desire, and then endless desire very rarely considers rebalancing or redistribution. Those things have to happen through good institutional, uh, public institutional policy, effectively government policy. So, so the question you ask is enormous. The answer is even more enormous. And um, and so to to wrap it up on this particular question, not the podcast, but the question is to say, yes, absolutely, we should look back and say, what is it that we learned? And let's capture it and let's enshrine it, really, and get ready for the next one because many of the um, the virologists and uh, and other people are saying, look, this is not the last one. In fact, this one could even become more deadly and more complex within five to ten years. It's been around for hundreds of years already, this strain of virus. It's not new. It's just more something that's difficult to manage. There is nothing to suggest that it's going to get easier. There's everything to suggest that it's likely to get more complex. It is a living organism that's trying to survive. So it's got an intelligence about survival. Um, it's not targeted at us. It's, it's not personal. It's not trying to cause us grief per se, but nonetheless, grief is what it causes. So we've got to think about what the future looks like, and it would be so remiss of us not to draw those lessons before we move forward into the next um, wave of pandemic, whatever that might be. You're listening to the Allegorical Life Podcast. And one more final big question, Mark. Where to from here? What do the next few years look like uh, if we do well to reflect and interpret our experiences? 
I think it's it's already an easier year for a lot of people. And just just taking a straw poll, you know, people are generally a little happier and a little more settled. And I think we've normalised um, to a new world. Uh, people are working at home more. Um, you know, they have so that many people, as I said, have moved home for starters. And you know, all sorts of changes have happened. And I think people are trying to secure or embrace or preserve those good changes and and trying to um, you know navigate the bad ones, but. So I think that's a good thing, uh, but I always fear that uh, we move past the the um, lessons of crisis too quickly, and that therefore, and then we're deemed to repeat the mistakes, you know, the sins of the past, and even moving off COVID into the natural hazard world, um, we're seeing that even now. There's a significant Royal Commission at the national level produced a, a, you know, over eighty recommendations for improvement, and, and we're already seeing. Um, jurisdictions, you know, states and territories pulling back from some of those recommendations and uh, and uh, starting to water them down and move away from them. So we have a, unfortunately, we have a propensity as a as a species to be overly optimistic uh, or cynical or sarcastic, actually, about some of these things, and and that's the very thing that causes us future suffering and future grief. So. So, which goes back to the point I made right at the very start about where vulnerability sits. It sits in our societies and in our minds. It's always there. The causes of harm are always there. The events, all I do is amplify them. So, so look, I remain positive, Jordan, and I think many people have taken good lessons, but the reflection is important. The capturing of that reflection is even more important. And I think we should... Um, move towards a, a more generous world and we say this all the time but that's the whole point of this blog series is to constantly remind people that when we share the load share the burden move towards our virtue be more compassionate more generous more kind more considerate um not that hard to do really really not that hard to do um then things just get better and so we did that in spades in 2020 i saw so much generosity and compassion and goodwill that was, you know, not perfect and not permanent uh, to two really important points about virtue, that they're not perfect. We, oh, sorry, the virtue is perfect. We're not perfect at them. Um, and we can't hold them in our minds permanently. So they, they come and go, not because they're not important, because we can't hold them. Um, but though we were more mindful of their benefits and we exercised our thoughts, words and actions through them and we got a better result. So I think if anything, the biggest lesson was, look what we did as a humanity to help each other. If you take the positive side of it, we did so much. Let's not, let's not, if we forget everything else, let's not forget that and take that forward. And that will close the gap of being vulnerable. It will close the gap of the suffering that arises from the harms that already exist in our societies. And we will be more competent at dealing with the next wave of whatever comes along because it is the nature of this realm of, of living as a, as a sentient being with, with the mindsets that we currently have, that, that suffering and harm is inevitable and we need to be more skillful at how we navigate it and, and the virtues help us do that. There's no doubt about that. Thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.